Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. We're very grateful you could join us today. And we will begin with our morning prayer. I'm reading page 63 of Divinity Course in General Collectania. There's a prayer there that Mr. Seddy gave the Christian scientist's prayer. It says, there is no matter and no mortal mind. God is all in all. All is harmony, health, holiness. This is the prayer unceasing to be used on all occasions and at all times. It lays the axe at the root of unreality, materiality, that forbidden tree, and cuts it down. Preserve a sacred silence on the subject of prayer. Signed, Mother of Science and Health. Beautiful, thank you. The watching point. Watch number 457. Watch that you be like Gideon with his band, who blew the trumpet before he had his struggle with error, before the manifestation of his victory appeared. When he directed his band to blow the trumpet, that was the indication from a metaphysical standpoint that the battle was already won, which is the position one must always take in demonstration. Once our leader declared, quote, I have always known that victory is as certain now as it will be a century hence, end quote. In all we do, we must start with the realization of a completed demonstration. Miscellany 200 Page 242 shows this point, and I will read from that page. You can never demonstrate spirituality until you declare yourself to be immortal and understand that you are so. Christian science is absolute. It is neither behind the point of perfection nor advancing towards it. It is at this point and must be practiced therefrom. Unless you fully perceive that you are the child of God, hence perfect, you have no principle to demonstrate and no rule for its demonstration. By this, I do not mean that mortals are the children of God, far from it. In practicing Christian science, you must state its principle correctly or you forfeit your ability to demonstrate it. If the Bible statement is true, quote, before they call, I will answer, end quote, then the solution for each problem must be at hand before the problem comes, and we must realize this fact. Thank you. Comments on that? 
But when I read it, I was just thinking about how, you know, I've really been working for the past couple of years to handle doubt in every situation. Not, not only doubt that God has it in control, but also doubt that I would be able to do what he's asking me to do. So it felt like it was speaking to that to some degree. So. And you can't, you can't do it, can you? You can't do what he's asking. Oh, no, I can't do it by myself. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, that's always good to know. It's always God working in you. Hey, Florence. No, I just realized this is, I read this in the readings on Wednesday. So it must be something we must pay attention to. God is calling attention to something that this is why we all every day, all the time, we really the unceasing prayer, knowing that the nothingness of art and um, the allness of God and our own perfection. And if we keep, you know, keep that in thought, it becomes like a one plus one is two. Um, we must start from there. So it's important to be doing this constantly. Yeah, we we can do it because this is the truth. This is the truth. It's the truth. The other is an illusion. So perfect God, perfect man, perfect universe. And that's how we speak with the authority of Christ. But it does take, it takes understanding. If you just spout the words with no understanding, then that's not very effective. You've got to understand the principle We'll get into that this morning, Jeremy. I was just gonna say, yeah, you gotta use the tools that you prove, like David. So. Yes, you gotta use exactly. It's a good point for this. You have to use those tools, and you build up on your faith, your understanding. You you get rid of your doubt by demonstrating day by day that. There's a reason to have faith in God because you're you're finding that parking spot or whatever other little demonstrations you might, little or big, you're having. But yes, we start with this absolute and know that this is true. This is what uh, what healing did Jesus accomplish? Knowing this truth. There is um, just came to there's there's a article that I really like. It's called God is All by Cleti. And it says in there that um, sometimes we think that if we um, are too fearful or too doubtful that we can't even begin because we're, we're just too afraid. So, and that we can't get in touch with God because we're too afraid. But he points out how unless we can get in touch with God, despite how we are fearful, how can we ever get in touch with God if we think that our fear or our doubt keeps us from getting in touch with God? So that's always comforted me to, to, to know that even though I might feel doubtful or fearful at the moment, God is right here, and I can turn to Him no matter what, and He will take care of the fear and the doubt. But if I think that I'm too fearful to even start, then that uh, that's not that's not right. That's um, anyway that, it, that that comforted me on a number of occasions to think that even if I'm fearful, I can still turn to God and He's right there. Thank you. I think it's Bick Nell Young that says 
go ahead and fear all you want. This helped me so much because, you know, especially as a young mother or something, go go be afraid all you want. Fear has nothing to do with the problem, really, does it? It's it's no. just false belief. It can't it can't do anything. And I always think of that if ever I feel fear. Go ahead and fear all you want. <laughs> you're, you're only you're only in a, a dream. You know, you're having a dream that you're afraid of, and it's not true. But why dream that dream? Why dream the dream? And then that always wakes me up and say, oh, yeah, I don't have anything to be afraid about. And, and the question that I asked previously is what what healing did Jesus accomplish knowing this truth? He walked on the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah able to still the storm but it was the healing right. of lazarus oh, the healing, right. the, remember we, we talk about that a lot and he says i know you hear me always he starts out affirming that he's not raising anyone from the dead he doesn't believe in death in the first place he starts out from that absolute yeah, he thanks god right yes he thanks god okay. yes before the evidence and he waited a few days before going. He did. It really showed. So rushing. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I could, you know, get me the first horse available. <laughs> <laughs> so fear all you want, but don't let it discourage you. This is why discouragement is the first tool of the devil. If it can get you discouraged, it's got you in its grasp. Its grasp. <laughs> well, I was I was toying between grip and grasp. <laughs> but it can only discourage you if you have a personal sense of healing. If you have a personal sense of responsibility that you. You have to do something to bring about a healing. Then it will discourage you. That's why humility is the is the most important state of consciousness that we can have to recognize that I of my own self can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. Because that is where our strength comes from, and that is where healing comes from. That is where everything comes from. And in that article, uh, Jeremy posted on the carousel, Imaginary Goliaths by Irving C. Tomlinson. He says, uh, one of the imaginary foes we have to meet is that of worry. And another is an imaginary Goliath is discouragement. Mm Mm-hmm. Those two were a very big one. It was a tiny stone sent forth with its sling that was a missile of truth before which era, though in a giant form, had to fall. I love that, a missile of truth. Go ahead, Florence. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say that uh, it is Bikmel Young also who said that it's your knee that's shaking, not your mind when you're scared, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're not using your it's your mind you're using not your knees <laughs> so. yes, that's it 
and I could, you know, before giving testimonies, my my knees would literally shake. But if you if you you have to overcome that, Mrs. Eddy says, don't you know that cowardice never conquers? You got to do it anyway, even though though you are afraid, you do it anyway. That is what real courage is. It's not that you don't have fear; it's that you go forth anyway and conquer that fear. So thank you, everyone. <clears throat> now the topic today, God the preserver of man. And go ahead, Lil, read the golden text. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Yes, and I always love to look up the word preserve. It's very similar to the word maintain, which is also in Science and Health this week. On citation three, every function of the real man is governed by the divine mind, and then the divine mind that made man maintains his own image and likeness. So, to to preserve or to maintain means to keep to keep or save from injury or destruction, to defend from evil, to save from decay, to uphold to keep or defend from corruption as to preserve youth from vice. That one sentence is such a treatment when you think of all the preserve or maintain does for you and for everyone. Know that, work with it. This is what God is doing for you. It's tremendous. Now, interesting Carrie Carrie when I refer to articles she sent me some again this week (laughs) this is her mission in life she sends me these beautiful articles for me for the magazine for for you all Um, but this was very interesting because I don't believe I will let you know Florence wrote this beautiful lesson and (laughs) this is uh, it's how Psalm 16 and then then Psalm 56 go together there's a connection between the two now florence did know that that was quite brilliant (laughs) well it's brilliant anyway um so this is from charles spurgeon's treasury of david it says you know right before a psalm they sometimes have a little statement about it okay well this one was called the mitchum of david which is a suggestion of atonement and this usually this is usually understood to mean the golden psalm and such a title is most appropriate we're talking about psalm 16 for the matter is as the most fine gold ainsworth calls it david's jewel or notable song dr hawker who is always alive to passage full of savor devoutly cries some have rendered it precious others golden and others a precious jewel. And then we have not met with the term mictum before, but if spared to write upon Psalm 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60, we shall see it again and shall observe that like the present, these Psalms, although they begin with prayer and imply trouble, abound in holy confidence and close close with songs of assurance as to ultimate safety and joy. 
56, the second golden psalm. We have the first in Psalm 16, to which this psalm has a great likeness, especially in its close, for it ends in the joyful presence. A golden mystery, the gracious secret of the life of faith is in both these psalms most sweetly unveiled, and a pillar is set up because of God's truth. When the Philistines took him in Gath, and that's quoted before the Psalm 56, he, David, was like a dove in strangers' hands, and on his escape he records his gratitude. Psalm 56, 1-2, he pours out his complaint. 3-4, to four, he declares his confidence in God. 5-6, to six, he returns to his complaining, <laughs> but pleads in earnest hope. And then 7-9, to nine, sings a grateful song. And then number verse 10 is the close. So it's so interesting to me, these beautiful psalms of David. And they have such clout because he lived it, right? He proved it. He proved it. He surely did, as we will when we discuss again the battle with Goliath. But before then, there was one other thing uh, in Isaiah 45, where it says 22... Want to read it, Craig? Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Thank you. It's a powerful statement, yes. And in an um, introduction to the lecture for Paul Stark Seeley, this is from... Um, a 1917 sentinel and that's really the theme of it look unto me and be saved all ye ends of the earth says christian scientists have become such only because they have found a demonstrable satisfying understanding of god in this teaching which has been their help in time of trouble our greatest need is really to acquaint ourselves with god there is a human yearning, a hungering, however faint in the consciousness of each one to know God. This is not surprising, for the Bible records God as saying, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. What do we need to be saved from if God is all, and there is none else beside him? Only from ignorance of God and the effects of that ignorance. That is very, very profound, you know. That is what we need to be saved of, only. That's the only thing, is our ignorance of God. Once we know what God is, then the healing just happens. It comes because it's the only truth there is. We've just been blinded by false teaching and education and perhaps experiences. Since God is all in all, he must be the very source of wisdom, intelligence, health, strength, and life. If he is all in all, why turn to anything else? 
Jesus the Christ summed up the result of really knowing God in these words. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Christian science is acquainting its adherents with God by giving them provable, a provable understanding of him. And because of this, it may rightly be called the grandest discovery of modern times. How true is that? The answer to everything, all problems, including wars, whatever, whatever the difficulty. And it is an understanding of him. And this is why our, maybe our mantra here is first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Knowing God is what brings healing. You're not trying to correct a problem. You're looking to God, the Savior of all, the Creator. And as you look to Him and understand Him more, once you realize one plus one equals two, it no longer confuses you. You no longer, you know it doesn't equal three. All your, your whine, your snarls become disentangled. I, I sometimes I'm in awe of this. Sometimes people just reaching out to our website, they start to have healings because all their confusion and misunderstanding, their life of believing one plus one equals three, suddenly say, wow, no, it doesn't. It equals two. Wow, Eureka. <laughs> and, and things just change right away. That's the power of this. And it's the truth. It's the power of truth. It's not a person, place, or thing. It's the power of truth. Once you, once you catch a glimpse of the truth, it's more difficult for you to be mesmerized. And that's really what we're about here, is don't be mesmerized. Because the world is throwing mesmerism at you all the time. And if you know the truth, you are on solid ground. If you don't know the truth, you're like in quicksand. And life is, as Mrs. Eddy says, an enigma. So we clear the mist by studying the truth and putting it into practice. We prove it to ourselves. And once you start proving it to yourself, that is the straight and narrow way. And that is the road to heaven. That is heaven. It is heaven on earth. And, you know, this has become your reality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That is your reality. Then you are dwelling in the Father's house. It doesn't mean, because I used to think all this, everything was unreal. Well, sin, disease, and death are unreal. But all the goodness in life is very real. And you see, this is what David did in the story of David and Goliath. He was not mesmerized by him. And I guess he was a big dude, you know. He was like, I don't know, they say anywhere between 7 to 11 feet tall, plus he had all that armor. And then he stood day and night for, what, 40 days, just 
saying, I'm the greatest. Who's going to be able to beat me up? And Indian paint was on there. Scaring the scaring the living daylight. <laughs> scaring, scaring the living daylights out of everyone. But, but David comes along, and, and I love it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? To me, that is the hell you say. I don't care how big you are, how strong you look. I am not impressed. I don't care how often you taunt me. (laughs) Over and over it will say. And it said everyone was dismayed and in great fear, right? The very minute he arrived, everybody dropped like flies. And in um, another beautiful article Carrie sent called Fighting Goliath by Maxwell Kloot, I guess. Um, it, it, it brings out the fact that David was the first one that brought in God. No one else had talked about God, right? It was all about how fierce and horrible he was, and man, they were in for it. How could they ever ever overcome something like that. And that's the only way mass mesmerism can operate. It can only operate on a people who don't know who and what God is. And and the only answer to that is to know who and what God is, or at least have a glimpse of it. Yeah, in this article it says, Goliath is symbolic of era in its seemingly most powerful forms. And we often feel like Saul and the men of Israel, that our particular Goliath is larger than any other and has come to defy us personally. (laughs) Until David came up to battle, there is no mention of the name God in the account given, but the thought was, Surely to defile Israel, he has come up. And the the Saul and the men of Israel were sore afraid. Fear is always the first sign of our yielding to evil, and so giving it power in our own thinking. Then David, a mere stripling shepherd boy, who was looked upon contemptuously by his brothers, but one of David's first remarks corrected this, for he said, and I love this, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What does that mean, the uncircumcised part? What difference does that make? God-like. Yeah, that shows it was, yes, that he hadn't gone through that Jewish ritual. So, and and then Saul wasn't uh, impressed still. You know, he said, well, you're just but a youth. But when when David spoke the way he did, he realized, well, nobody else is stepping up for this job. <laughs> He's the best we have right now. <laughs> so we have to lose, right? So I was thinking, I've never faced a bear and a lion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's it. And uncircumcised, I think it's a, it is a holy uh, ceremony where God's involved and he blesses you know those in part 
that are involved in it. So, Thank you. And when he blesses, he gives them a spiritual strength. Yeah, that was what that, it is a ritual, but that was what it was to represent. And he, he just, he was unimpressed, unimpressed by this huge thing. And you see these Bible stories, Jeremy was saying how applicable they are. Always. Always. All these things. Uh, it kind of saddens me sometimes because I think my life would have gone a lot different if I knew some of this I know. going and, along. But. And, and wouldn't they like to poo-poo the Bible and say it's awful and don't read it and, and all of it this. In our schools. Take yeah. it out of the schools. <clears throat> it's a misinterpretation of it. Well, um, it would seem like a bad thing if, if people intend bad for you. You know, because it, it helps you to get out of that and away from that. Right. right. Yes. So we have different Goliaths today. You know, the nameless nothing has been a big presented Goliath. as a big Goliath. Thank you. You know, we have communism rearing its head, you know, in parts of the world. Appearing as a big Goliath, and but it's godless, and we need to remember that it is godless, and that, and and as a result of that, it has no power. And that's when you can say, "Who the hell are you to be telling me this stuff? You're you're not of God. Why should I be listening to you?" I was thinking about when I was a kid. We lived in the Mojave Desert, and we just had a little TV, and it and it had a UHF uh, antenna, you know. And we'd have to we'd have to get it aligned just right. And if we had it aligned just right, we'd you know get the Three Stooges or whatever. But but if it wasn't aligned, it just looked like all static. And and you know that that's I feel that's what the coming to the church has done for me. Get that that thing aligned. Whereas before, I didn't. All I saw was the static. Yeah. Know, the noise. So. And that's all they were seeing, you know, Saul and his men. That's, they just saw the static. They just saw the static. And this is the importance. That's why we had that lesson a few weeks ago on brainwashing, because that's how it operates, to get you to believe a lie. That, that uh, definition of delusion is to believe something, even though the facts tell you otherwise. You're deluded. And... I was reading, and, and this is something we work on to know it's not true, but when someone is brainwashed, even when you present them with the facts, they won't believe you. This is why, too, we're so polarized in our country, and I guess elsewhere, with somebody thinks one thing and somebody thinks somebody else. Somebody will have all these facts to tell you one thing about the nameless nothing. Someone else will tell you the facts <laughs> that we know to be true. But that's why the arguing can be useless that's why we have to work mentally to unclasp this hold as mrs eddie says and destroy sin disease and death because even presented with the facts they will not believe you if they've been so thoroughly brainwashed what is that statement if you repeat a lie often enough people will believe it yes that is how communism operates the their the I, I, I read an interesting article about a prof history professor uh, in the United States who, who was born and raised in Russia and came here. And someone asked her, uh, you know, what, what is the communist concept of truth? 
because she was saying they don't have the right concept of truth. <laughs> I mean, how can, how, how, can, how can that get screwed up? So she said, well, in, in communist Russia, truth is whatever the Communist Party says. They dictate what they want people to believe, and they call it truth. And that is how mesmerism gets started. Somebody says a lie and calls it a fact. And it keeps saying it over and over again. And people who attack it or who challenge it with the truth are made to look silly. Or dangerous. Or dangerous. Yes. Or somehow wrong. And that is how mesmerism operates, and it and it operates out in the open. It you know it, it has no shame. And a, and, and a yeah and a and a true Christian scientist will not be mesmerized by that mesmerism. Because we know the facts, and the facts are in our textbook and in the Bible, and that's why you must study these books, my friends. You cannot think you can get by without it. It's a textbook to study, and prose works too. And then the other, the, wor the works of the early workers are very helpful as well, but certainly those three, you read them every day, you know your facts, you will not be mesmerized. That Horace Greeley said, a Bible-reading nation cannot be Take it over. What? Conquered. Conquered. Yeah. Bible reading nation cannot be conquered. That's why to take it out of the schools, take it out of the hands of our children is so wrong. So we put it back in the hands of our children. And, and no one's going to take that away from us. Go ahead, Florence. Well, there's a lot of overturning going on around the world. Lots of people are turning to God and hopefully that makes them wiser to know the truth and stay with the truth. God alone, that's it. Yes. Thank you. And that's a good thing. Yeah. That is a good thing. And that's why all of this is happening. So so people will be shaken up so much, they'll, they'll try everything and find it doesn't work. And, oh, yes, that's right. There is a God. <laughs> Maybe I should turn to him. Approve all things, hold fast to that, which is good. Thank you. In those testimony meetings, Mrs. Eddie was so God brilliantly lettered. People cannot argue with proof. I mean, every Wednesday for eighteen sixty six, I don't know when she started. <laughs> I mean, there's light put out in the world to say this: this is the truth in the word. This is the proof. And then you know, and Mrs. Evans said, I think for you, you could. No evidence before the material senses can close my eyes to scientific proof that God good is supreme. So if you know the truth, you're going to see the proof. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So wonderful. So back to our dear David. So, yeah, then Saul suggests to him that he put, put on all this armor, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what was his reply? It's not proof. Not proof. You just made me a sitting duck. Thank you. Exactly. I'll just be. But there was another very, also very beautiful article from Carrie by. It's called "The Time for Thinkers" by an Alma Alma Lutz, 
and the time for thinkers. Now, <clears throat> here a king is telling David what to do. If he hadn't the courage of his own convictions, right, he would have said, oh, of course, the king's telling me to do this. I better do this. He didn't say that. He said, and that was a courageous thing to say, hey, I'm going out there. I'm just, I'm not wearing any armor. I'm just bringing my slingshot. <laughs> you got a problem with that? <laughs> Sometimes a Jersey attitude comes in good. Okay. So anyway, this was um, in this article. The human mind is disinclined to exert itself. And with its beliefs of minds, many would rather gather in predigested thought or fashion. It's thinking after that of another human mind more active or greater than itself. In this day and age, however, when the opportunities for intellectual development are so extensive, one would expect active exercise of thinking of the thinking faculty. We have progressed somewhat, to be sure. But at the same time, there's a tendency toward a little folding of the hands to sleep. While newspapers, magazines, lecturers, or our respected neighbors do our thinking for us, and we parrot-like voice their opinions. Christian scientists of all people should be thinkers. Most of them had to do a great deal of thinking before they accepted science. It often meant estrangement from friends and relatives. Such steps as these could not be taken without deep thought or without turning to the mind, which is God, for help and guidance. That's a tremendous thought. The time for thinkers has come. That's why she put that. Where is that in the book, textbook? Very page. Thank you. Yes. Do as David, just because some boss or president or whoever tells you something, that doesn't mean it's true and you should do it. In fact, it often means that it's not true, not true. and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> and, you shouldn't, and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> but well, David, David, David got into this position because he was motivated by God. It wasn't a person telling him to do this. In fact, the king discouraged him at first, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If he had listened to the king, he would never have been there in the first place, and who knows what would have happened to the children of Israel. They would have succumbed, but God wouldn't allow it. God wouldn't allow it. It wasn't up to the king. And and there's another lesson that I think in in this example of David, you know, rejecting the armor and the sword and the helmet and all that stuff. And does anybody have an idea as to what that lesson might be? For me, it's he used what he had. He did, maybe he didn't know a lot. Maybe he was young. Maybe he was inexperienced. But he used what he had, what he knew mm -hmm. about God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't fight error on its own terms. Mm -hmm. He didn't get down in the mud and sling the mud back and forth. He rose above the picture, the mesmerism, and he used what he knew would work. Thank you. All I need is this missile of truth. <laughs> A missile of truth, yes. Yeah, he didn't get in right on its own terms. Thank you. Can I add something to that? George. George, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that, the thing with the armor, and, and um, I think that's such a great um, metaphor uh, or analogy to our uh, 
our spiritual life today that we wrap ourselves in material protection, you know, whether it's money or power or some or kind of armor, exactly. we, actually, we actually immobilize ourselves. I mean, because <laughs> that armor is so heavy, David couldn't even move. That's exactly right. Right. And I think that's true. I, I, I see that in my own life when I'm trying to protect myself from what I'm afraid of rather than sort of shedding those things and trusting only in God, I'm just totally immobilized by fear. And, and, it, it, and Saul, you know, Saul was immobilized <laughs> by fear. He was trying to, even though he knew David was coming from God, he was still trying to wrap him in armor. I mean, I mean gee, how, how often do we do that? You know, just so often. I mean, it just occurred to me to think about that. Yes, very good. Very good, exactly. Which is why we should start every day. God, show me what you want me to do today. And we shouldn't do things unless we are inspired by God to do them. And when we are, God provides what we need to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. You know, and, and it, to George's point, people surround themselves, gated communities, all this stuff. Their their fear just increases. Um, for this horrible thing out there that's going to get them. Rather, let's be like David and, and just have the simple missile of truth with us at all times. <laughs> and yes, and so then he, he, and he did prove himself. Hitherto the Lord has helped me, hitherto he will. He wasn't just having a pipe dream all these years. He was using his science. It protected him from the bear and the lion. He was building in his faith. This is why you can't just be daydreaming through your life and then you have some major thing to meet. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. you got to be proving it day by day by day, which David did. And then there was another good point where it says in the 45th verse, we find the key to David's victory over Goliath in the word whom. Note that he did not say, as might be expected, whose chosen people or whose servant thou hast defied but whom thou hast defied, and that's referring to God. From this we should learn that however great may seem our trouble or however personal, we should never try to fight it by ourselves. Instead, we should realize that it is not defying us personally, but God himself and all his order of perfect creation. And all we have to do is to have confidence, as David had, and realize that the battle is the Lord's. I think, um, if I think of uh, David, uh, all these people, Jesus himself, is the supremacy of God that they had all the time, no matter what. That felt very helpful. It's been helpful to me. Thank you. Absolutely. The supremacy of God, this is the whole thing to knowing this every day there's nothing but god he's all power this goes back to the first commandment nothing but him and we stand by that and we will be the victor but you've got to prove it day by day or you'll yeah otherwise you couldn't have done as david did and um just briefly too, the story of hagar what did hagar prove God was ever-present help in trouble. Yes. And I thought merciful, too, because 
I mean, the, she had, and her son had a bad attitude, but he didn't, <laughs> you know, That's just true. toss him. He, he let them heal and then, you know, go about good. Yes, thank you. Merciful on it. Oh, that, oh, <clears throat> sorry. Go ahead. Also, the story um, also brought out, it kept, um, was that God heard the lad. She was, she was looking up. She was, you know, didn't know what to do. She was thinking that he was, the child was going to die. And so he was, but it was the lad that it said God heard. He heard the lad's voice. So that, and so that told me that it was the childlike trust. The one that was not afraid. That's whose voice he heard or the one that he, so I thought that point was brought out. I see. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and in another article, Divine Love's Provision, it, it brings out how her need was met. And even yeah. though it didn't seem like there was any water around, right? Mm -hmm. She had to lift her thought, her vision, and it was actually there. And then it, this article brings out a, a sweet story about birds. I guess this couple would feed the birds in the winter, and then one day there was four inches of snow over all the food. But one little sparrow just kept digging, 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 and he found it. And mm -hmm. and uh, the idea that he was he was uh, listening to divine intelligence, and he knew it was there. <laughs> he got it. And we must too. When we feel our supply is cut off, we can't see our supply. It's there. It is right before you, just as it was in in Hag Hagar's case. Right? It was there. God mm -hmm. does, did love her. Does love her. And that supply was ever available, but she had to lift her vision. She had to look up. Don't look at the problem. Don't think about all your past and, oh, I've been poor all my life and nothing's ever worked out. And, oh, this is, no, what good does that do? This is a new day. Your ex expectation is from God. You've grown. Look up and see all the good he has for you because it's abundant. And this lesson is just full of wonderful gems throughout it. Healing, um, certainly the 23rd Psalm and the 121st Psalm. And um, God will heal the sick through man. But there's a little condition. Whenever man is governed by God, because <laughs> people like that part. Florence read on Wednesday night, um, we have to love our enemies if we want to be a child of God. If you think you're not God's child, do you love your enemies? If you're not being healed, are you, are you, are you being governed by God? There are these conditions that people like to ignore. <laughs> we can't ignore these conditions. We've got to do it. And, and more than just read it or say it, but live it. <laughs> live it. I think also the, the thing in... Daily Watch that said, before they call, I will answer. It's almost like Hagar's situation. God knows there's always the, the answer to every problem, and we have to have faith in that. I think it's helpful. Um, Thank you. That's pray. true. And we saw that beautiful uh, documentary, remember, on that German man who, he, he had an orphanage or something. He All his supply mm -hmm. was met. Right, you know, right at the last minute, Mueller, his name was Mueller. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Just trusted God to the very end, and suddenly these things would appear. So this is it. This is this lesson. Trust the Father, and he will preserve you. Now we're going to end. This is a beautiful interview that Carrie also found. Mrs. Eddie gave. It's a little longer, so we're going to start now. Yeah, the article's starts the Chicago Interocean on Sunday, June 18, 1899, published a sensational article to the effect that Christian scientists of Chicago are seriously in doubt as to whether Mary Baker Eddy, the discoverer and founder of Christian science, is really alive and on earth. The article is based on what purports to be an interview with an unnamed, quote, member of the South Side Society, end quote. This mythical person is made to declare that Mrs. Eddy did not appear in person at any of the recent meetings in Boston during Communion Week, and that the address at the annual meeting was read by another person and handed out to the reporters under the false pretense that it was delivered by Mrs. Eddy herself. The Boston Journal, upon receiving the Chicago paper, instituted an investigation of the matter with the result that a reporter personally interviewed Mrs. Eddy at her home in the city of Concord, New Hampshire, Tuesday evening, June 20, 1899. And the interview was published in the Boston Journal of June 21. And the following is an abstract of the interview. Concord Depot, New Hampshire, June 20. Quote, am I alive? Why, I haven't felt more sound for 40 years. <laughs> End quote. These are words which will set at rest once and for all the reports which come out of the West with resistless regularity that Mrs. Mary Baker Eddy, the mother of the Christian science faith and the counselor of its interests the world over, is dead and has been in the grave for several years. It was the forcible and picturesque response to the question of a Boston Journal man as Mrs. Eddy tripped lightly into the parlor of her beautiful home in this city last night at an hour when many younger persons are in bed. The journal man had come from Boston to deny or affirm the reports of her death, with particular reference to a purported interview in a Chicago paper with a prominent Christian science worker there who says emphatically that all evidence bears out the conclusion that Mrs. Eddy is dead and that her death is being kept a secret by interested people who fear that knowledge of such a fate would be disastrous to the cause. The same gentleman is alleged to have made a statement that Mrs. Eddy did not deliver an address at the recent National Convention of Christian Scientists held in Tremont Temple, Boston, but that a woman who was made to pass as Mrs. Eddy spoke that day. To a journal man tonight, Mrs. Eddy took notice of these declarations. It was the real Mrs. Eddy and nobody else with whom the journal man talked for half an hour. The same Mrs. Eddy whom the reporter saw alight from her carriage in front of Tremont Temple two weeks ago when she entered the building on a Tuesday afternoon to deliver her address to 2,000 and more persons assembled. As Mrs. Eddy came down the front stairs with the agility of a maiden and tripped lightly across the parlor floor to the reporter's eyes bulged as the thought of a woman of 80 who has worked hard and thought deeply all her life. She was charmingly dressed in black satin, black waist with purple front, 
Her snow-white hair combed gracefully from the middle of her head was held by side combs studded with brilliance. Her complexion, like pink satin, clear and unflecked by furrow or wrinkle, and her eyes bright and glistening were no uncertain evidences of health and contentment. Quote, it is only an impulse that I talk with you tonight, quote, end quote, she said. I see no reporters, and as my time is so thoroughly taken up by my work, it is not possible for me to entertain callers. I, come, I came to Concord for seclusion. Yes, it was way back in the 70s that the reports were first given out that I was dead. But here I am, <laughs> and in good health. During the 10 years that I have been here, I think I have missed but three days for my daily drives. I go out summer and winter, rain or shine. There were two days last winter when the streets were almost impassable during the most severe cold weather that I did not go out driving. And one other time in years past that I could not go out. But for 10 years, I have missed but three days. One day last winter when the wind blew frightfully, I drove about the city. Coming home, it seemed as if the carriage would be blown away from the street and the driver expected it. But we arrived home safely and I felt no bad effects from the experience. What are your working hours? I arise at six in the morning, replied Mrs. Eddy, and work all day. I retire to my room at nine o'clock, but not always to sleep. Today, I have answered about 20 letters. I take 10 minutes for every letter of four pages, read it thoroughly, consider it, and then write or dictate the answers to my private secretary. <clears throat> of course, there are hundreds of letters that I never answer at all. Today, I've entertained letters from Congo Free State, from several European countries, and answered a letter from the wife of our minister to China. Your time is occupied in other ways? Yes. From all over the country, I am besieged with requests for messages and counsel. Whenever a new church is opened, the people think I ought to mail them some words of cheer and comfort if I cannot attend. So all these things take my time. I cannot go to Boston. I have not the time, for there is so much that requires my attention here every hour of the day. During the recent convention, I felt that it was a call from God to speak to our dear people. I was there all day. And after running up and down stairs, holding receptions, and speaking words of cheer here and there, I rode back at night. There was a couch in my car, but I did not lie down. I did not feel tired, although it was a pretty good day's work. I suppose the fact that you are to a great extent inaccessible to those who wish to call on you gives rise to many of these rumors of your death. Yes, replied Mrs. Eddy. I reluctantly turn away many <clears throat> more from my door than I see. It is impossible for me to entertain the hosts who wish to see me. For years, I have been trying to discourage hero worship. Here is an incident. It was the first time that I ever uttered a reproof to anybody on such an occasion. Many people were tarrying at my gate when I got ready to take a drive one day after the recent convention. They had come from all parts of the country. 
I stopped my carriage at the gate and spoke to these people. Then I drove away. But when I came back, one woman had remained there two hours, waiting for me to return. I stopped and said, what are you here for? For spiritual help, she replied. Have you no God? Yes, she said. Then never come here again to see me. Depend on yourself and get into your closet and pray that he may guide and counsel you. You leave home but rarely now, do you not? Yes, I am trying to extend this idea of God help instead of my help on all my people. My heart is with them all, but they cannot expect that I can leave my work that is somewhat apart from theirs. Age has descended lightly on you, despite your years of thought and toil, remarked the journal man. I never boast of my health or speak of the tomorrow. But when I was driving recently, I was stopped by one who, after inquiring about my health, remarked, Mrs. Eddy, you look to be about 40 years old. Farther than this, I do not know what people think, but I really do not feel older than 40 years. As I toil on, I am comforted by the scripture, ye shall run and not weary, walk and not faint. Do you find that your faith is flourishing? Oh, very much so. In England, there has been a great advance within the last four years. And in Germany, France, and other parts of Europe, the work is in a very flourishing condition. <laughs> Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.